This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Kate Sobrano, welcome to Better Reading. Very, very great pleasure to be a part of your community. All of all of our readers, they, they can't see me, but I'm making the love symbol with my hands. Yeah, you are too. Um, <laughs> they just love memoir, my readers do, That my community. They love memoir. They love to hear about people's stories. You know Trent Dalton, the fabulous <laughs> Trent Dalton, he said to me once, and I agree with this, he said readers have empathy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that's why they like memoir. Yeah. I think readers, and from what I've been experiencing with book public through the tours and 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 in this this period of time, the last six weeks of going and promoting the book, readers are also listeners. Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, they do listen very intently. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're sitting there and they're actually, you know, observing with their eyes and mm-hmm. taking from the page uh, a small glimpse of a person's insight to their own life and their own feelings and but they're not sort of having they're not sitting there in judgment they're sitting there listening yes they're listening and looking and then they find a part of whatever you're putting out there they find a part of it that's similar to themselves and then you are handing you're you're holding each other's hands across the the distance you know mm. just in that moment you a friend has been made a friend mm. for life and I'll give you an example of that well Trent is one of those people that people are, ha- are falling in love with deeply, madly, truly in love with. And with Trent, there comes immortals, people like this is, I love him. Mm. I also love a lot of great, I love a lot of great authors, Australian authors, just love um, these men in particular because there's something about when they're writing about their characters, I know they're writing about themselves. That, <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm falling in love with them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think in in fiction there is so much about self. Like an author will deny it. But if let's say you and I were given the same topic to write about, let's say, okay, we've got to write a story about taking our dog for a walk, right? Let's say that. Yeah. Your story is going to bring your experience of whatever that is and my story is going to bring my experience of whatever that is and that is in fiction as well. A lot yeah. of authors try to deny it, but I, I can feel them. You're right. I can, oh, yes. I can definitely feel them sometimes. I never doubt it. And, yeah. you know, and I, in a way I think it's the greatest form of, well, independence, one, and you'll think this funny because it's a complete dichotomy, but it's an independence and then it's a connection with yeah. all of Because um, knowing that you are yourself, entirely yourself, and being true to your own song, you're writing that song, someone's picking up on it somewhere over there, they'll, they'll remember your voice and they'll, they'll hear you one night when they need you and they'll go, I'm going to go back to that place, I'm going to read that place and that, in that passage, particularly that passage in that book, 
and it's going to release me from the burden of comparing myself to others or thinking myself less than others or trying to shape myself for others and it's going to make me feel completely myself because mm. authors can do that. You know that in that moment that phrase is probably something that they wrote to liberate themselves as well. Mm. I agree totally. Let me introduce you because we got carried away and I haven't done that yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Kate is a singer, songwriter, performer and artist. Kate celebrated one of the most enduring and inspirational careers in Australian music. Kate's jaw-dropping voice first came to national attention with her band I'm Talking. Their debut album is enshrined among Rolling Stone's 200 Greatest Australian Albums of All Time. And in 2014, Kate was inducted into the Australian Songwriters Hall of Fame. So this is her memoir that we're talking about, and you know that because we've already mentioned it. Um, (laughs) It's called Unsung. And Kate muses on the people and experiences that have inspired her, featuring her inspirational song lyrics, stories, paintings and embroidery and celebrating four decades of songwriting and recording on the release of her 30th album. I mean, you're a bit of a a renaissance, we call them renaissance men. Yeah, yeah. They renaissance women, can't we? Oh, actually, James Rain called me that a long time ago. I, I love that. I mean, he was the first one and only he, I understand why he would he would know to call me that because he's a little bit of a Renaissance man himself. He's um, He comes from a very interesting family. Uh, I think his father is is one of the beef eaters. Oh, wow. At Royal okay. Palace. I, th- I think that's right. I know he's very horses and hounds, let's put it that way. Okay. <laughs> hey, listen, so talk to me about where you grew up and how it is that you came to music. Talk to me a little bit about your life journey. Well, I'll start by telling you about my father who arrived in Australia in probably the, the just a few years before the um, the lifting of the all-white policy of immigration policy. Not an enormous amount has changed, but definitely it was a significant kind of change for Australia at the time. He was uh, immigrating from Hawaii and he brought with him a ukulele, an auto harp and a surfboard mm-hmm. and... He was a young man, he would have been 20, 21, and already he'd had two children and one on the way, which was me. In the household, I was raised with music. Uh, Like most people, people had about three to four albums in a household, and those three to four albums were played in succession. We had uh, Nana Muskuri. (laughs) Oh, yeah, love it. I I think I might have had that. Yeah, we did. I don't know. This is the times. Earth, Wind and Fire, Uh, Roberta Flack's first take. yeah. And it may have even been Madame Butterfly. So we had like a very broad, oh, and in addition to those, sorry, so no, there's about half a dozen. So there was, and two Hawaiian albums of my dad's. And those those albums shaped my internal kind of reference to the world around me being that I was a new Australian, that my father was Hawaiian, that we were sort of somewhat exotic. My mother was Australian and, and that we were an unusual kind of family on a street of other misfits, there were the Conheedies across the road, there were the Wongs down at the Where bottom. Where were you? In Northbourne. Mm. And I had, um, you know, I mean, we were we were all, each of us, the Conheedies, for instance, a very Catholic Irish family, the Wongs, a traditional Hong Kong family. There was us who were the traditional mixed family where, you know, my mum would enjoy telling our neighbourhood about our holiday experiences in Hawaii and teaching and learning how to do the hula. Where did your parents meet? Did they meet here or in Hawaii? 
in in Adelaide actually. Oh, it was right. in Australia, yep. Yeah, I mean, they're a very big story in itself, but just describing the musicality of it, I think my dad being a bugler as well, that was one last thing. Oh, wow. He's a bugler. Um, and so there was music and there was musical instruments and there was a piano in the house. We have that really old-fashioned way of kind of entertaining ourselves with music and the written and spoken word. Right. And were you singing at that age? Were you kind of singing along with your dad? Uh, yeah, we were. everyone's encouraged to sing in a luau. And yeah. so if the song was pearly shells from the ocean covering the shore, you know, the whole thing, everyone would pitch in at the at the middle eight section, when I see them, my heart tells me that I love you. Everyone all harmonises uh, more than all those little pearly shells. Beautiful, friendly music. And it's encouraged to let people sing without fear of self-examination and saying, oh, I can't sing because I can't, I'm not a singer and, oh, I don't know how many. Well, no, what happens is there's a kind of a, a beauty about the islands and the way island music is created. There's a place for everyone. Yeah. I, I can't hold a tune, but, you know. No, see, no, that's see, like... that's your, that's, 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 <laughs> that's every Western's go-to, Western person's go-to and they no, no, I can't sing. Oh, no, I couldn't possibly. Oh, no, no, I'll just ruin it. Oh, I mustn't. Oh, no, okay, no. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you. Sometimes I'm in the park and I break out. I like singing, but I can't sing. And I'll start singing. I'm walking my dog and I'm singing. And then people that walk past me stop. Oh, were you talking to me? Like, no, uh, no, I was singing. <laughs> Yeah, well, look at that. Hey, honey, there's been various great singers in the world that simply talk sing. Leonard Cohen. Oh, yeah, love Leonard. Yeah. Hey, I want to know, did, did your mother sing? My mother's a beautiful singer. Is she? Yeah. yeah. So we two have musicians course. found each other. Oh, my mother wasn't a musician. No, my mother's a painter. Oh, wow. So That's she good. just sings because she loves to sing. And, yeah. and she's a, a woman that knows how to raise artists. She's We were raised like free-range chickens um, my dad is actually a very, very famous martial artist and in many, oh many countries in the world I'm known as Tino Soprano's daughter because of just his ranking. He's the highest of his style in the world. And we had often 50 to 100 black belts in the backyard at any given time of my life. So I was... You were safe. I was, I was, at, I was safe and I understood kind of fame Yeah. in a, in a very local sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, got that. Because I was also looked after by all of them and so I was precious. There was something special about me because I'm Tino's daughter. Yeah. So when did you start your professional career? How did that come about? Like were you rebellious in high school or were you in the drama school or what was your trajectory then into song, into music? I actually did a keynote speaking event for primary school and high school principals this last month mm-hmm. and I announced very early in the the speech that I had left school at 14 yeah. and I said it's because I am one of those poor students that kind of missed out on the opportunity to find someone, I guess a, a champion, who might have seen me in amongst the crowd. Mm. And, you know, I, it wasn't because it wasn't that I didn't want to be there. Actually, I really wanted to be there. I just didn't have what seemed to be the facility to understand what I was doing and how to get involved. I, I'm a great self-educated person now in that I love to read, avid reader, love knowledge, love application. Was it belonging? Was it? Um, no, it was actually, it was, I don't know, and probably you could have called it a form of dyslexia or something where I just mm. 
wasn't really able to absorb the information. And, and also, and I think it was the times, it was the 70s and education was changing. There was a lot more freedom and then there were a lot more boundaries and the two things were like at polar opposites to each other. Like, for instance, my last year at school was spent in an annex, which was kind of like an experiment for year nine students where you were going to be deemed fit for work at the end or you would be deemed fit to continue with education. It didn't work. They don't really sort of do that anymore. No, not in um, year nine especially. Yeah, yeah. I, and I felt that was kind of undignified and I was a little bit precious and a bit proud of myself. But you asked me the question and this is the answer. There was one champion. There was a music teacher and her name was Mrs Bradley. And in the year that I left school, I already had three to four gigs a week. And there's an earlier story to why and how music, which I'll tell you in a minute. But I'll tell you this much. When I did leave school and I knew exactly what I was going to do, I, I felt comfort in the fact that I had a profession. I could rely on it for income. I was happy. I was creative. And I was free. It was all good. And one day I was opening up at the age of 15 for Vince Jones at Hamer Hall. And I said, I actually wouldn't really be here if it weren't for one teacher at school named Mrs. Bradley. And I get to hear this little voice, I'm here. She's here. And she stood up and the whole of Hamer Hall gave her a standing ovation for a teenager that was living on the stage out, living out her life's fantasies, which was to to be an artist and a musician. Mm. And here is how it started, and I'll give you the snapshot. Our families were living next door to each other, my mother and her sister, and each of us had three children to the family. So there were my brothers and I, and then there was my other cousins. And I would wander back and forth across And one day I was singing in the kitchen and I was walking in and I was singing, if you wanted the sky, I would ride across the sky in letters, would soar a thousand feet high to serve with love. Right? (laughs) Lulu had just sang it. I was watching the midday movies. It was Sydney Poitiers and it was to serve with love. Love that movie. And it had just replayed and I knew it well and I was singing my guns out. I was just like, and my auntie looked at me in shock and she went, wow, you can sing. And I said, no, I'm just having a bit of fun. She said, no, you actually can sing. So she called up a television show at the time called Search for a Star. And though I was only 14, she lied and said I was 16 and got me onto the show and I, I came second on a big grand final, whatever it was, doing oh, to wow. serve with one. Yeah. Yay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how it started. So I often look at people like yourself that sing and you've got just such a big voice, right? And I think it's that sometimes people think that of writing, but I know better because I've worked in the industry, that yeah. you, know, you just sit there and you write and it all comes out. Well, that's not true. You're rewriting this, that, whatever. Yeah, We're yeah. singing, though, from where I sit, it looks like it just, like, comes out. Is there a training that goes with it, like a deep training? Is there, you know, what does it take to, to sing professionally in terms of training, in terms of preparation? Well, it like any art form, be it writing or karate, there are many different avenues I mean, of the way one engages with the act of doing it, right? And in Australia, traditionally um, and in the most undocumented way because there was no digital filming, there were no cameras, there was no, no phones, mobile phones. Mm. So the way that we learned traditionally was simply getting up on stage and doing it. Yeah, well. That's how we did it. 
if I think about my peers at the time, in fact, I remember 16 opening up for a lineup and the lineup was Colleen Hewitt, Chrissy Amphlett and Renee Gayer was the header. And I was a 16 year old star. So I didn't have pegs on myself. I didn't think I wasn't expecting a lot from myself. I was simply just going to make it through the night. I'd go up and put my requisite songs on stage, six songs, and then I'd just sit in the wings and I'd watch. And I have made a habit my whole life, actually. And you you can you could ask anyone, what is Kate Sobrano like backstage on a big Australian made tour or any ensemble tour? She sits there and I do, and I watch and I am in wonder of every artist that performs on the days that I'm performing. Listening I never go backstage. I don't let people talk to me while I'm listening to them. Yeah. I don't let management or other people kind of divert my attention into more important things or other important things. To me, when a person's singing live, they have my full and unmitigated attention. It's just completely 100% there for them. Mm. Yeah, wow. And so I learn by watching how they how they look and feel. I try to inhabit their skin and I imagine what it feels like to be that courageous and mm-hmm. and then then and then and only then do you add fiction, which is the priceless part of being on stage, which is you can be whoever you want to be. Mm. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I've heard this, and I don't know if, if it applies to you, but often people say to me, I've got stage fright, like musicians. They just they they get sick when they're up there. But once yeah. they start singing, I mean, you know, you would never know. Maybe you just explain that. That's where the fiction is. They're nervous before the fiction. Would that be right? Absolutely. I've not understood it before. It's actually like I've never heard it said so perfectly, but that's exactly right. Yeah. Social anxieties are an, almost an essential part of what prepares the body to go and deliver what is essentially a fight and flight kind of activity. Mm. Mm. You have to place yourself in an arena and with no expectancy of failure and you want to have all your senses tuned and ready to deliver because you're doing it in real time. Mm. It's the same feeling as doing a live reading. I don't know about you, but have you ever had that thing where your heart beats mm. so that you can barely speak? Mm. those adrenals that turn on that's what makes performance so vivid and almost like um if that is the price you pay for the act itself well it's kind of amazing and if you can tolerate it and you can and and you can handle it psychologically handle that I think I was very lucky to have been 15 years younger than all of my peers because I was never tempted to do it whilst on drugs or being drinking with them or like I wouldn't I couldn't do it 
because that would have been just far too dangerous. I mean, there are yeah. many people in the 70s and 80s who could be as intoxicated as, as you know, as you like and still perform. Me, I was, I was like, I was learning and my body was, was dealing with the anxiety of that and all the hormones and the adrenals. So what I did instead, so like you just said it, you just said it so beautifully, I would take myself by the scruff of the neck when I'm like couldn't breathe and I'd throw myself onto the stage. And then in that place I would pretend to be these things. And and you actually can get really, really good at dominating your body and your thoughts through first pretending and then becoming. Oh, wow. I love that. Talk to me about gender back then, like you were talking about the women that you were playing with. You know, I'm going to be completely honest. I find like literature, you can call a person a pronoun of any kind, but the writing itself will tell you exactly what gender you're describing. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's something fundamentally genderless about gender. If the person's just behaving in a way in and at the time, you're pretty certain you know who they are and what they are. You don't really need to have to kind of be specific. I know there's a big story about it because there's great discrepancies in the way people are paid and how they're honoured and respected. That itself is a different sub. That's a different discussion. Mm. I personally don't, I don't prescribe to gender and music. So you felt no pushback, nothing. You just did what I you felt did. the I felt the financial discrepancies I did. Yeah, okay. But I didn't feel like I was any less successful because I was a woman. Yeah, wow, okay. Right? I, I felt like I was an artist always. Mm-hmm. And the artist, by being an artist, I was defined by that mm-hmm. and that was above gender. Okay, so tell me. Like, maybe- for instance, I, I suppose in the olden days as well, it was different with book. I, I know it's slightly different with authors because there was a time when women weren't allowed to publish books mm. and I, I wasn't born in that time. So I'm I'm not trying to be insensitive to the different generational uh, changes, but I actually think I, I was an expression of, of feminism in its first edition feminism. I was free and I was fearless. I am fearless mm. and I'm female. And you female, I'll tell you a little bit of what what happened in books, just from my experience, and I've been in the book business a long time. For a while there, we had gatekeepers, you know, we had the the literary reviewers in the mastheads pretty much were the gatekeepers of what the recommendations about what people should be reading. Yet on the other side of that, 80%, 90% of the population uh, a reading population are largely female, and if they're not that, they are the people that buy books for yeah. months. Yeah, that, that was that for a very long time, but it was largely the reviews from the mastheads were male, and they were usually, not always, but usually reviewing male books. Now that changed very, very recently. Like I'm going to say, ten years ago, fifteen years. Wow, ago, wow, wow! When social media came in right, the barrier Mm -hmm. to review and recommendation came down and readers could then decide what they wanted to read and female authors went through the roof. Jane you know, Leanne Moriarty, all of those people, they were always there but they weren't given the airspace until the reader could have an opinion and people knew them. Okay, well, that makes sense to me. I mean, I I definitely think that that is where... And certainly there are stories where I can tell you there were, I had gatekeepers as well, yeah. especially when I was sort of in my ingenue phase where I was easily introverted into my body 
as a yeah. sort of like as kind of the vehicle of my art form where people could say too young, too old, too fat, too skinny, all of the above and and actually act on those suppositions to either give me space or no space. So, but never like those, ne- never like the book people. You know, I identify very, very clearly with Joe March. I mean, she and I, when I was always reading and rereading and rereading the book, I always discovered so much of myself in her mm-hmm. because she never asked permission to do anything. No. And and even so, so in a way, maybe I'm a little blindsided by my own by my own um, tenacity. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how you term this, but you went from, you know, singing with others and I don't know the music language, forgive me. <laughs> you when can talk is... in language. I think I might even understand <laughs> Okay. So when is it then that you became you and how old were you? How did it happen? And then you became Kate Sobrano. Wow, that's a very big existential question. I'm not sure I've got the answers to all of that, but I, I can tell you that... Um, it's just taken as long as it's taken to live up into the beginning of COVID mm. to have a really good analysis of the life and music of four decades worth. I think you kind of need to have four decades just to simply have a good case study for which to be able to understand one person. Mm-hmm. I mean, if one can hope to live 40 years in any particular profession. And lucky can- enough. And lucky enough, then you've got enough source data, in my opinion, to evaluate what is a person's motivation. So I believe in COVID, I kind of was set back to zero yeah. and my senses were calibrated back to my very first purpose, which was always to create a good emotional impact on a person. Mm. I've been that child that always wanted to have their parents smile. Mm. I've been that person who always wanted to make a person cry with a good song. Mm. I've been that person who always goes to the aid of another without being asked. I won't let a child be hurt in public. You know, I'm just that person. Mm. And I think that my whole work over four decades has shown me that's what drives me to make the kind of art, the kind of music, the kind of culture that is Kate Sobrano. And then that defines me. I think that all of that. I want to say you're younger than me, but in all my No, no, we're the same age. Are we the same age? Okay. Yeah. In yeah. all my life, I have known you. You know, like I have known of you. I know Kate Sobrano. I know mm-hmm. Kate Sobrano music. <laughs> so it's not like what happened to, it's never been a conversation, what happened to Kate Sobrano. Oh, is that She's great? always been there. You've been there in all the milestones of my life. That's a pretty extraordinary career to make that happen. It's beautiful. It's really special. I, whew, I'm really super glad. There were there were sliding doors moments when someone if someone had said to me and offered me more fame or more this mm. or more that, I would say I I would gladly take all of the touch points of my life and and all the people that I've known in my life and I'd keep that please and I wouldn't take all of what you're offering because I've had people like yourself, Cheryl, who I've worked with, who I've sung for as as a 15-year-old who are now 58-year-olds in the audience. Mm. And similarly, we've been friends, quote, unquote, since we were 15. Mm. And they're as interested to know, they're as curious and mystified by what are her passions going to lead her toward next? 
<laughs> they're like, we want to see this happen. And mm. sometimes they're in an audience too and it hasn't fired and I've watched their faces I've known. It, it was an interesting exercise but it didn't fire. I'm cool with that. And, and if we, but we recover together. They always come back. We always come back together. Mm. Do you know earlier or mid-year in, I think it was June, the first week of June, I got really sick and uh, it was terrible and I went to hospital and, oh. you know, and they said something like three days. And I was like, <gasps> what? Yeah, exactly. What? Anyway, what I'm getting to is a lot oh, of, oh. lot of I was, I'm fine. It turned out not to be misdiagnosis, but they were <gasps> able to pair it back and I'm, 100% fine. That's so brutal. Oh, my God. Oh, my super God. Scary. It's life-changing. It's super scary, right? But uh, getting back to you and getting back to our conversation, people have asked me many times since, what did I think about in those three days? What did I reflect on? Would wow. I have changed anything mm-hmm. in my life? And do you know, no, no. Oh, aren't you blessed? No, oh, my God, I that's know. beautiful. We are blessed, aren't we? We are blessed. We are blessed. I think we've lived in a time, a very uncommon period of evolution of the Mm. world. No war particularly within our lifetime, you and me. Are you a 66 baby or 65? 64. 64. Okay, so you just picked me at the post by year. But the thing is that our our lives have been spent curious with curiosity and, and I often say it's like a limpet. I reach for, I contract, I reach, I contract, reach and contract. And we've been allowed to do that because we've been offered space and protection and I think it's been an uncommon life. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we've lived an uncommon life. Mm. Well, I, I, I honestly, on my heart, I wouldn't have changed Aww. a thing. I wouldn't have changed a thing. I was just like, okay, all right, well, that's it from me. Thank you very much. It was good. It was wow. the way I wanted to go out. But that says a lot about you and your character. I remember singing actually for Mark. Hunter, the singer of Dragon. Now, we were singing together at his, basically that was going to be his service, but he wanted to do it while he was living. Mm-hmm. So he was dying and he was he knew his time was coming and when it would come. And I remember I'd only just kind of met him and it was like feeling like that story in one of those old novels. You're saying goodbye and I've just said hello and how does one live it like this? I'm just, just I only just got to meet you, and I've already having to let you go. Mm, it's hard. <laughs> and he right? had that sort of, like, similar to you. He had that sort of quiet confidence. He was like, "It's okay. You'll survive, mm-hmm. and life will go on. Mm-hmm. I'll meet you down the track somewhere." You know, mm-hmm. you're like, and we've done the best that we can. Wow. Um, COVID. I want to touch on that briefly because you talk about that. It was a tough gig for me. I have lived by myself for a long time now, but I've never been alone, right? And I've had a really full, fantastic, you know, I have a really full, fantastic life. But COVID made me lonely. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yes. So what did it do for you? Yes. It was a dark kind of, yeah. I thought that, um, well, I've actually heard it written since and it was Nick Cave who was talking about it in a podcast. He said, I thought it was an opportunity for the world to take stock and make some significant choices about what would happen next. But I think we were also uh, like it came like a uh, and and winded and unable to I, I was sort of rendered stupid because I knew that 
I could complain about my condition, my internal condition or my subjective condition, but everyone's was going to be worse than mine. And so it didn't count. So it blunted every ambition, every passionate thought, every, you know, lifelong dream, you know, in an exact minute and it wasn't worthy to think those things. And also it was I had that kind of like terrible shame of thinking and you're one of the lucky ones. Mm. So even if you wanted to sort of complain, you couldn't. So that is that is a form of like a, that's a kind of isolation that it almost doesn't even have a name, does it? Mm-mm. It's yeah. just like being hit with a blunt object, bang. Yeah. yeah, it really winded me as well. I know yeah. a lot of people that really used it to their advantage, but they had people around them, you know, whereas, oh, I had to, you know, I mean, look, you know, and like you, I'm privileged. I, I found a way, but wow, it was really internal sometimes. I was like, wow, how did I get here? Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. God help us that books and other things gave us. I, I actually remember a film and it's kind of, it's like it's a bit of a daggy film, but I loved it. I liked the concept. It was called Fifth Element and Mila Jovovich, she's playing God, right? She's sort of sitting there. There were times when you'd see the world flicking by like she did on the television screen and you'd sob mercilessly about like how much we all miss, how the beautiful things we'll miss. And then I walked out the door on occasions. This is the other, this is just the cruelty of it and how duplicitous it was because I'd walk out and I'd go, nothing has changed. Mm. I'm still yeah. breathing. Look, that tree mm. looks exactly the same. It doesn't know that there's COVID escaped in the world mm. and the birds are singing and this path looks pretty you know, well, what, what's going on here? What fresh hell is this? Like, what mm. the? I don't believe any of it. This is the. I know. <laughs> it was hard. Do you know the only thing I there's the sadness that I have around it because I'm well and uh, well and truly over it. But the sadness was that I think we had an opportunity to do better. Like, well, you know, I think that's what about, I was alluding to. Yeah. I think but like I think we could have climate change. We could have kind of made some changes then. We well, we we were all deprived yes. enough to dis- discover yes. that you know there are many things one can live without. Mm-hmm. Clearly, clearly, yes. So missed opportunity, and I think it. But uh, without getting into politics or anything, I think no. that it's made it possible for others to take advantage of mankind in a way that's kind of quite gross and, and despicable, which makes it, which only serves to make the arts more important, mm-hmm. um, education, literature, culture. Literacy, everything. You, you know, yeah. because yeah. if a person can, can think for themselves and be able to articulate their inner thoughts and protests, I think we should all be staying a lot more than we're actually saying. Mm-hmm. I agree. Now, listen, yeah. lovely, we're out of time. Oh. I know. I know. The, the, um... Actually, can I leave you with this? I don't know where I've got this and it's paraphrasing and it's terrible. Go on. But when someone says, give me a man who's read one book and he could be my best friend and give me a man who's read none, he could become my worst enemy, we just established that we are good friends. We've been good friends yeah. and we hadn't even met each other. But we knew, right? We knew. Yeah, always knew. Are you going to be attuned to go out on? Am I going to give you one? A tune? Yeah, yeah. To sing a tune? Yeah. Ah. Oh, Goodbye, well, farewell, see. I'm off. <laughs> Actually, um, Vera Lynn, I, I did a gig on the Gallipoli commemorative ship, mm-hmm. which was as equally as, as as joyous as it was moving. And um, 
I, I was singing each night, I'll be seeing you in all those old familiar places. And the line goes, I'll see you when the sun is gone and when the skies are through, or whatever the words are, I'll be looking at, um, I don't even know the words, but the melody just kills me. I'll be looking at the skies. I'll be looking at the skies, but I'll be seeing you. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, what? Beautiful. You're an angel. The because the book is called Unsung. Um, if you want to find out more about the beautiful Kate Sobrano, go get yourself a copy. Thank you. Thank I you. I only wish you. I had all the words for you. <laughs> that was good. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.